hey you, guess what? You're not superwoman. I know for many years you thought you were, and it's been such a humbling and hard road to finally accept the fact that you do not have to be other than what you were created, human. You are, however, obligated to do that for which you were created, to glorify God. And my dear sweet self, you're not going to be able to do that without getting a few things straight in the craziness of your everyday life. There are a few things that you don't want to compromise on in all the busyness. Your relationship with Jesus, your amazing husband, David, those precious gifts, Jed and Timothy, and might I just add your relationship with yourself and your service to God. These are the things you guard. Remember, you only get one day at a time. There's absolutely no guarantee of tomorrow. So how are you going to enjoy today? A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? You'll need to put some boundaries in place and these might limit your income, but that's not your problem. Better a meal of vegetables where there is love than a fattened calf with hatred. And the Lord doesn't let the righteous go hungry, so you can rest easy. You'll also need to put some margins into your day so that you don't have to rush. Don't be afraid to go slow, to say no, to sit down. And don't you dare worry what others think or compare your life with somebody else's. You guard your heart, for it truly is the wellspring of life. You will need to take some time out to plan each week and decide on meals ahead of time. And sorry for you, but you'll need to get up at five every work day to enter the throne room and spend some time with your daddy. And on the weekends, you'll need to linger just a little bit longer on his lap. Listen, you can always be busy. It's perpetual, never ending. And sometimes it becomes a comfort zone in itself. It's a choice, Catherine, to cut yourself some slack. Just don't feel sorry for yourself and become resentful. Change what you can change. Ask for help. And if that help doesn't do it the way you would have, you just bite your lip, show grace, and say thank you anyway. Add those margins and boundaries and then rejoice because it's commanded and it's so jolly good for you. Thank you. That was beautiful. Wow. Um, tomorrow we're going to have some time to write some letters to ourselves. So that's uh, just a foretaste of um, what is to come. Thank you so much. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Julie, and it is wonderful to be with you. Um, as Tendai has already said, I came up from Cape Town, and I left five small people behind with their dad, with uh, their alleged dad. And um, <laughs> they are watching a movie now, and um, hopefully they've been fed, and uh, not sure what time they'll go to bed, but um, it really is wonderful to be here with you. It's um, especially sweet for me to be talking and 
to have people listening back <laughs> without me having to repeat myself 17 times. That's ministry to me. So thank you for this moment for me, at least. I'm feeling ministered to and healed just by being here. Um, but really welcome. As Tendai has already said, there are so many competing things and demands on our time, and you have made space to be here. And I really do believe that God is going to honor that, and he's going to do something in each of our lives and in each of our hearts. If um, you are new here and someone invited you or you heard about this and you're not used to this kind of thing, relax and feel very welcome. You are, you are um, welcome to belong here before you believe. And I hope this will be a space where you realize, hang on, I didn't just uh, get invited by a friend or uh, I'm not just here going through the motions. God has divinely, sovereignly orchestrated that I, I would be here because I do believe that to be true. So I'm guessing that we've all come today uh, busy, as Catherine said, from uh, lots of different places and directions. Uh, we've all come in wearing lots of different hats and spinning lots of different plates because we're women and we multitask and we do that well. I'm guessing that each one of you um, has multiple roles in your life. Uh, some, some of us might be mothers, uh, all of us are daughters, others of us are sisters, friends, workers, Uber drivers, cooks, peacemakers, so many different things. And um, what I want to focus on tonight is one of the things that women don't do so well. There's, there's a lot that we do well and we're proficient at, but there's one thing that typically, I think generally, we as women do not do very well at. We're not good at it, all of us. And it's abiding. It's resting in God's love. It's being rather than doing. It's contentment versus comparison. It's living fully present to God in this moment, not rushing ahead or worrying about the past. Am I right? <laughs> That's one thing that we haven't necessarily got nailed, hey? And yet I believe that it's a key to what we were put on this earth to do. Just think about that. Imagine getting to the end of your life and you've got through all those to-do lists. But the most important one, one of the most important ones, is unticked, abiding. Abiding in God's love. Whoever you are, no matter your season, I believe that God is calling you to find his love and abide in it. I believe that's why you are here tonight, every single one of you. And I had such a strong sense um, while I was preparing that, um, as has already been shared through the worship, that God really wanted to make his love more real to each of us. This weekend, uh, tomorrow, just a bit of a foretaste of what we're going to be doing. We're going to be looking in three sessions at three different kinds of women that we find in the Bible and um, how their faith helped them to face their past, their present, and their futures. We're going to be looking at Sarah and then at Mary and Martha and finally at the Samaritan woman at the well. But tonight, before we, before we deal with that, I really feel like God wants us to pause and really unpack what it means to abide in his love. 
some context to this phrase. It comes from John 15. And if you've opened your bags, you don't, don't have to now, but you'll see it's written on everything. John 15. We're going to read it now. But um, the context of this verse, how it fits in to the gospel story, is this is towards the end of Jesus's ministry. He's been on earth. He's got his 12 disciples. They've ministered. And now he's set his sights on Jerusalem. And he knows that it's days before he's going to be crucified for our sins. And he is concentrating truth into these last few days and hours with his disciples. These are some of his last words. And I don't know about you, but there's something significant about someone's last words, aren't they? They're the things, they almost uh, need to be in bold and underlined and highlighted. Hey, if you think about people that you love, imagine if you knew you had days left with them. I think you'd choose your words very wisely, and you'd want to leave them with as much jam-packed wisdom and knowledge that you have as possible, right? And that's what we find in, in this chapter, John 15. Jesus has already told his disciples that he's going, and they don't really understand. And then he, he starts telling them the story. Let's read it. John 15, verses 1 to 9. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. What a rich portion of scripture to reflect on, to pause in the middle of our seasons and busy lives and let it sink deep. That's my prayer. God, won't you let this slice of your living and active word sink down deep in our hearts tonight? Won't you let it take root into our souls and anchor us in every season? Amen. So, um, what I'd like to do for the rest of my time with you tonight is just uh, almost guide you like a tour guide, in a sense, around this portion of Scripture and just share some of the reflections and insights that I've had as I've, as I've just let this, uh, this metaphor and this section of Scripture sink down deep into my heart and into my life after, over the last few weeks. So this is not so much, I haven't got PowerPoint slides and lots of points, I'm just going to share my reflections, and you're welcome to write down anything, or just let it kind of like wash over you, whatever works for you. My hope is that as I reflect, you'll feel your heart softening, and you'll feel God's life-giving sap flowing again more richly through your life. So firstly, my first reflection um, as I 
sat with this verse is, is that first verse that we read, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. If Jesus is the true vine and he, he's emphatic to start there by saying, listen, I am the true vine. To me, that implies that there are false vines. In this picture, the vine represents an anchoring presence and a source of life. So what are some of the false vines that can take the place of the true vine in our life? The things we tend to cling to, the things we tend to want to attach ourselves to and, and draw life from. I am the true vine, says Jesus. So what are some of the false vines? Reflecting on this, I thought some of the things that I sometimes try and draw life out of, other than God, is my work, my significance that I find in, in the jobs that I do. Another one is my family. I love my family. You see, these things aren't bad things. They're good things, but they're not ultimate things. They're not the things that we meant to draw our life from. So my kids, I love them, but sometimes I put them in a place that they shouldn't be in my heart. If you've got kids, I think you'll know what I'm talking about, where you actually, uh, you're not just uh, trying to serve them and also uh, work out how family works, but you're needing something from being their mother that they can never give you. Satisfaction, deep significance, deep affirmation. Perhaps it's a relationship or an idea of a relationship that you're anchored to. Perhaps it's your own appearance or your reputation or approval or what other people think of you. Perhaps it's financial security or even ministry. What are the things in your life that you tend to go, this, if I plug myself into this, I'll be okay. Perhaps it's even yourself. You think you don't need a vine. You are the vine. Jesus says, I am the true vine. And the, the verse goes on and it says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. And to me that implies that uh, you could also say, I am the true vine and my father is the true gardener. In some translations, um, it calls uh, the father the vine dresser. And I love that picture that there's a God in heaven that isn't absent from our lives, that he's hands on. And, and the role of a vine dresser is to take those vines that creep everywhere and tend to go and bolt and go in 700 directions and train it onto the trellis and show it where to go and shape it and form it. So if the father is the true vine dresser, the true gardener. I wonder what the false vine dressers in our lives can be. We can have a false vine. We can stick our lives into the wrong things as a source of power and life. But we can also be shaped and directed and formed by the wrong things. And make no mistake, you might go, oh, no, that's not me. But unless we actively, intentionally, under God's hand and his handprints are on our lives and we're yielding to his direction, we're being formed by something else. None of us are static. None of us are as neutral or objective as we'd like to believe. We are all being colonized or being discipled by something. 
And it's normally the things we give our heart to, that we give our mind to, that we spend the most time thinking about and worrying about. So what are the gardeners in your life? What are the things that have the most influence and touch and fingerprints on your life? Could be yourself again. Could be other people and what they think about you. It could be media or headlines and the news. They are false gardeners and false vines. And Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. The second thing that I noticed as I pondered this uh, scripture is that pruning is God-inspired. Oh, pruning is just the worst, isn't it? <laughs> Nobody likes a good pruning in their life. I don't know anyone that goes, oh, I'm so looking forward to a season of pruning. <laughs> we live in um, Cape Town, and we live quite close to the Constantia Wine Valley, and it's beautiful, and we try as often as we can to drag our family out, especially as everyone starts to kind of descend at about half past four in the afternoon, and just get them into this beautiful nature. And we often go for walks through some of the vineyards. And it is amazing how this portion of scripture comes alive when you walk through vineyards through the seasons. In summertime, we're coming up to it soon, December, January, those vines are heaving with life. And by, by February, they are bowed down with grapes. It's incredible to see. And also, Hurt Constantia, if you've ever been there, as you drive up, there are these rose bushes on the side, and they are just prolific, the most beautiful, huge roses. And then you get to uh, the season that we've just come out of, winter, and you go there, and you cannot believe what's happened, <laughs> what these awful farmers have done. They have just brutalized these vines and these rose bushes. They cut them right back. These, these hard-working vines that had done nothing wrong and had produced such beautiful fruit just get butchered, in a sense, and they get cut right back. And there's just this gnarled vine with some stuck-out branches, and you think, never. In a few months, is that going to look like it looked last year? It's, it's impossible. And the same goes for the roses. I remember because... Um, Taryn illegally sometimes picks a rose for Ivy, our six-year-old daughter. And then I couldn't believe uh, going there again. Just they, they, I thought, oh, they've pulled them out. But they haven't. There's just these little stark stalks. And I, I can't fathom that in a few months those are going to be again, these prolific, beautiful, fragrant bushes. But they are because the farmer knows what he's doing. He's pruning back that which bears fruit so that it can bear more fruit. Pruning is essential. It is the Father's love made visible. It's love. And I wonder how many of us in this room feel cut back at the moment. Perhaps your, your confidence has taken a knock. Perhaps your profile, or you've come into some kind of difficulty and it's just made you feel smaller, less than you did. I felt like um, maybe there's some people that feel like there's been things that have been withheld. <laughs> and I felt like that can be God's gentle pruning. He withholds things that we think we so desperately need to show us that he's all that we really need. Pruning is God's love made visible. 
And I felt to remind us that pruning is not discipline. You can kind of think about God as being kind of quite stern and that he's kind of come at you with some shears and he's hacked at you. And it's brutal, but it's, it's not that. It says those that bear fruit are pruned so that they will bear more fruit. Pruning is an act of love and it's not discipline. It's God's faith-filled direction and shaping of your life so that you can bear more fruit, so that you can absolutely know that you know, that you know that the fruit that's coming in and is going to be off of your life is not from your ingenuity and amazingness. But after a good pruning, we all realize it's God alone that makes things grow. <laughs> so take heart, dear ones. It's the Father who prunes those he loves who have already bared some fruit so that they may bear much fruit. I find this so comforting <laughs> to remember after what feels like a season of pruning in my own life. God, your hands are all over my life and you promised that after a good pruning, if I stay yielded in your hands, that this will lead to sweet fruit through my life. And also the other thing I'm learning, having feeling like I'm coming out of a season of, of pruning, is that it's cyclical. The, the, the farmers at Crude Constantia don't go after those uh, vines like haphazardly and only once, you know. There's one big pruning that happens on that vine and it's life and then it's done. Oh, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> but it's cyclical, like the seasons. There's seasons of birth and renewal and there's seasons of death. There's summer and there's winter. And if we lived in an eternal summer, that's called the desert. <laughs> that's not actually the most healthiest thing for us if, if you consider us uh, being organisms that need shade and light. And I, f I find that something that um, we often forget. I, for a long time, just felt like as a Christian that's, that's trying to follow God, that surely your life should just go like this, hey, like on an upward curve of health and wealth and prosperity. Sure, surely things should just be getting better, but that's not what we see in the Gospels, really, is it? It's not what we see in Jesus' life. It's not what we see in the disciples' life. And I'm learning that uh, this journey of following God, although it goes like this in terms of deep satisfaction and significance and joy and peace, but that season still come and go. There's still winters ahead, and there's still more prunings. And part of sanctification is learning how to follow God. Sanctification meaning becoming more like Christ and following him closer. Is learning how to follow him and abide in every season. Not just in the summer when there's fruit and there's green prolific life. But also in the winter when to everyone else there doesn't seem like there's much life. But that your roots are still abiding in God. Pruning is painful, but it's not discipline, it's love, and it's essential, and it's God-inspired. It's the Father's loving hands on our lives from time to time. The third thing that I, uh, insight that I had while I was reflecting was that our focus should not be on the fruit, it should be on abiding. The outcome may be fruit 
in our lives, but it is not our goal. This is something I had never seen before in this uh, passage. The fruit had always caught my eye the most, but the imperative, the command in this scripture is not bear, it's abide. Isn't that amazing? It says, abide in me. That's, that's the doing word. That's what you, what, what do you need to do? What do you need to do? Abide. And you will bear fruit. Wow. Isn't that so different to how we tend to think about our lives? We're looking at the fruit and we're trying to have more fruit, more productivity in our lives. And God says, don't worry about that. Don't even worry about the fruit. Abide in me and you, you'll you bear fruit by accident. It's a byproduct. It's not something you need to focus on. I'll take care of that when you're abiding in me. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> this word abide, I looked into it because I think these kind of words can be suitcase words. We come at them with, with our own definitions, you know? According to the dictionary, it means to act in accordance with, abide in me. Another word, to abide in, it says it means to accept without objection. To accept without objection. To abide in God's love means to accept his love without objection. Wow. I find that challenging. <laughs> I think I'm sometimes the first person to object to just being holy and fully loved in this season in my life. Oh, no, God. I've still got so much to do and so many things to prove and so many things that I need to achieve before you can love me. And God says, abide in my love. Accept it without objection. How are you doing? Ladies are doing that. at Just wholly accepting God's love without objection. Another definition, abide in means to remain fixed in one place. Sure. That's something I think our kind of culture finds so difficult to do. We're always on the move, not just physically, but um, emotionally and mentally. We're always just jumping from one bit of news and one website and one social media feed to the next. But to abide in means to stay fixed, to remain fixed in one place. How are you doing through the seasons of your life at remaining fixed in the true vine? Come what may, remaining fixed. The Holy Spirit is uh, in the Bible sometimes likened to a dove. And doves settle on things that are still. They don't settle on things that are rushing. How are you doing at, at creating time in your day where you remain in one place long enough for the Holy Spirit, like a dove, to come and refuel you and refill you. Abide in me. For me, um, the word abide, it, it's got such a, a, a visual sense for me of, of kind of being wholly subsumed, of being covered over like, like a big cloak. And it always reminds me of um, when I think about that vine, how it kind of you can take, I'm not a gardener, but I know that you can take a kind of branch and you can, there's a word like splice or something. You can put it into the vine. Is the, does anyone know that word? 
grafting. There you go. You can graft it in, and it kind of gets kind of wedged right in there. And I always think of that story about Moses in the Old Testament. It says that God said, um, I'm going to hide you in the cleft of a rock, and I'm gonna, my glory is going to pass by. And he said, you can't look at me because I'm, I'm too wonderful and great. You, you, you wouldn't survive. But I'm going to hide you in there, in this cleft in the rock. And I always think about him being so surrounded. And God said, I'm going to put my hand over there, and I'm going to pass by. And for me, that's, that's what I think of when I think of abide. You, you, you're fully surrounded by God's love, abiding in God's love. So how are, how are you doing, ladies, at intentionally drawing from the life-giving sap of the Spirit? If the doing word in this passage is abide, not bear, how are you doing at putting more focus on abiding and less on bearing? And this is so counter-instinctive, really, because as, as human beings and as a parent, my role is to make my kids less and less dependent on me. A healthy uh, child grows from being completely needy to someone that is quite self-sufficient, that can stand on their own two feet. But the opposite is true when it comes to our spiritual maturity. A, a, spiritual, a spiritually maturing person is growing in their dependence on God is growing in their awareness of how much they need God. Um, there's a Christian author, I think it's Dallas Willard, that once said, the Christian should use up grace daily like a Boeing 747 uses up jet fuel. And I love that because I think especially as women, we can go, thanks, God. No, no, I don't need, I'm fine. Go help the other people. I'm fine. Thanks for all that you did for me last year. That's fine. And we think we can just live off yesterday's manner and yesterday's grace. And yet we're meant to stay plugged in and drawing intentionally from this life-giving sap, which is God's love and his spirit. This is one way we recognize our need for God is by coming under his word. And in this passage, I don't know if you saw it, you haven't had a long time to reflect on it, but... Um, but twice, Jesus talks about uh, that, we are, that we have been made clean by his word and that if his words remain in us, then, um, then we are abiding in his love. And I love that. Um, for me, it's a picture of Russian dolls. Do you know Russian dolls? Those dolls that have dolls that have dolls within. within. And so we've just realized, I hope you can see it clearly, that picture of what it means to abide in God's love is to feel like you're kind of completely surrounded by his love, okay? But then this verse in the middle of the section says, now make my words remain in you. And God's words are living and active. It's his spirit. And so he's saying, you remain in me. So now we're in God. So he's the big Russian doll. We're the middle one. And then he says, and let my words remain in you. There's another Russian doll in us which is also him. <laughs> Do you see how fully surrounded this concept of abiding is? It's not just that we're surrounded by his love on the outside. It's that we're surrounded on the inside. We Like reinforced steel, the depth, the core part of us is surrounded by his truth. 
is, and his word, which is that he loves us and that we're made in his image. Isn't that incredible? It's such a comprehensive surrounding that we're meant to intentionally move more toward in our lives and let the fruit take care of itself. The fourth thing that I saw when I reflected on this is that we're to settle into our kind of obscurity in this picture. Obscurity meaning our small part to play. Rick Warren in his book, um, The Life God Blesses, starts with this wonderful sentence. This is the first sentence in that best-selling book. It's not about you. <laughs> and I think we see that in this, in this portion of Scripture. We are the branches. We are the branches. Look at that picture. There's so many things you see in that picture, but you're just that branch between that big, gnarly, barky vine and between that luscious fruit. You're the branch. You're not the vine and you're not the fruit. We are merely the middle men, the conduits of love. Of course, it's flowing to us, but it's also meant to flow through us. Now, when you first hear this, that actually this doesn't, this picture isn't absolutely flattering of you. It's saying you're in the middle of something that's bigger than yourself. That can sound like pretty terrible news, but it isn't. It is wonderful news. Tim Keller calls it the freedom of self-forgetfulness. That we're meant to move from being quite self-aware, which can make us, you know, quite, uh, you know, um, overly uh, um, preoccupied with ourselves or being kind of arrogant and self-conceited to actually just thinking about ourselves less, the freedom of self-forgetfulness. I've just uh, read a beautiful book called A Thousand Gifts by Anne Foskamp, and in it she says, how much larger your life would be if yourself could be smaller in it. How much larger your life could be if yourself could be smaller in it. You see, this is seeing things as they really are. Taking our place in the beautiful, immense, huge tapestry of God's design and of what he's doing in the world. This grand narrative doesn't diminish our lives or our role but rather it imbues it with deep, eternal significance and beauty. You see, you can, you can go off, you can disconnect from this picture and go, actually, I want it all to be by myself. I want to do it on my own. I want to be the center. But then you're just going to be a, a discarded branch. Or you can be part of something beautiful, the hope of the world, the only thing that's going to last for all eternity. And in the process be imbued with such deep joy and peace and love and grace. Isn't that amazing that we get to choose? And how freeing to realize that it's not all about us. It's actually, it's about finding ourselves in a bigger story. This also means that we need to be aware of playing the vine. We spoke about false vines, um, but we also need to be aware that we are not the vine. Um, and I think for, for women specifically, we need to be aware that we don't let people tap into us as, the, as their primary source of life. 
thinking about mothers, but I'm thinking about if you're just someone that needs to be needed and enjoys uh, doing things for other people or, or, or someone that is maybe exploited by other people. God says, you are not the vine. There's plenty of true vine to go around, point people to Christ. It's the most loving thing you could do for them. And it's the most life-giving thing you could do for yourself. This means embracing your limitations, doesn't it? <gasps> actually learning to go, actually, this is, this is my capacity. I think sometimes we over-esteem ourselves or, or think that, that being spiritually mature or being a good person means overextending ourselves. But there's nothing wrong with going, I'm a branch and this is, this is how far I go. I can't do that. I can't be that. And sometimes we learn, we need to learn that beautiful word, no. <laughs> For some, it's easier than others. Personally, I'm a chronic people pleaser. I'm a recovering people pleaser. And I battle to say no to people because I just feel like that's, that's kind of somehow letting them down. Or, and, and it's just so beautiful to come back to this and realize, oh, it's not about me. They, they absolutely can carry on and get this thing done if I'm not involved. Actually, it might be better. Uh, my worst example of this, well, my, well, I'm sure I've got many, but the one that, that's kind of crazy and comes to mind is I'm a freelance writer. It's one of, the, one of my hats that I wear. And, um, and I have always struggled to say no to work. <laughs> and any freelancer, I think, will attest to that. Um, and especially just before having babies, I know that I'm probably going to be out of it for a while. So the more work I can actually get, you know, before this baby comes along, the better. And I was doing some freelancing work for this fancy agency in Cape Town, Fox P2. And I don't think anyone had ever gestated a baby and walked into that premises. You know, it was kind of like swish, modern Cape City Bowl, Cape Quarters. And I just... I watched them watching me with horror as this like belly carried on growing. So the kind of work I do is I go in and get briefed on a job and then I work from home. So I wasn't there often, but every time I'd, I'd go in, no one would mention the bump, <laughs> but the bump was growing. And I was, I've always been quite a dramatically pregnant person. And so um, I, this was my second, this was my third child, Ivy, and um and went in to get a job, and they said, they looked down, and I had this huge tummy, and they said, can, can you do it? And I said, yes, yes, can do it, absolutely. And went off, and didn't um, make it very far before I realized I was having contractions. Things were actually happening. Got home, phoned Terran, said, I think you should come home. Got home, and he said the worst thing. He said, no, I don't think which as a, your husband must never decide that he knows better than you. So anyway, that made me move quicker. Long story short, I ended up going into labor and having Ivy that night. So this, or I'd been at Fox P2 in the morning. I'd said I could get this job done. Afternoon ends up being at hospital. Ivy's born at 8 o'clock. She's my third baby, and for the first time, things don't go according to plan. I have to get rushed in for an, after she's born naturally for an emergency operation, um, and I lose a lot of blood, and I come out of the operating theater at about quarter past 11, 
and I'm shaking, you know, after you've had an, like a crash anesthetic and lost a lot of blood. So I get given this baby and I'm shaking and I'm trying to get her to latch and Terrence so excited that I'm there because his finger was almost sucked off. And you know what I say to him? I say, Terrence, get my laptop out. <laughs> this honestly happened, you can ask him. I'll dictate to you what we need to do together. And he's like, okay. So we sat there and I finished that job until midnight that night. Um, and I'm, I'm telling it as a joke, but that's ridiculous. Fox P2 did not need those stupid payoff lines for some silly ad done by a woman who had just gone through what I had, like a near-death experience. Like, come on, Julie, just realize you're a branch. Actually, and I actually never even told them that I'd had had ivy that night, you know, a few weeks later it came out. Um, but isn't that just ridiculous? So I'm, I'm saying that humorously, but really, how many of us in our own ways go to such dramatic lengths to be all things to all people when actually God is saying, you're the branch, you're not the vine, and you're not the fruit. And that's great. It's good. It's good for you, and it's good for other people. Um, and, and the other thing, we've got to be aware that we're not the vine, but also we need to be aware that we're not the fruit. We are not what we achieve, ladies. We're not what we do. And I think sometimes we can get that confused. And my last point here is, what are some of the fruits? Maybe we need to reevaluate what we think about when we think about the fruitful life. There are false fruits out there. Uh, verse 5 in this passage, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And yet we do. We, we can do so much apart from God. I can do so much apart from God. I can run ahead of him all the time and, and get so much done. And yet he calls it nothing. Wow. How sobering is that, that we could get to the end of our lives and feel so busy and so worn out, and God could say, you did nothing. Where is the fruit? What have you done? Because anything done apart from God is fake fruit, you know? It, it amounts to fake fruit in our lives. It might feel like lots of leaves, lots of things going on, but there's no real fruit. The fruit, some of the fruits, um, are unity. This verse doesn't um, say it directly, but all these branches are plugged into the same vine. And earlier on, um, he said, I, I want you to be united. I want you to be loving one another. That's one of the fruits. Another fruit, uh, another aspect of fruit is that the fruit is not primarily for the branch, is it? It's for other people. I'd never thought about that. When I read this, I think, oh, fruit. Yes, I want fruit in my life. Fruit for me. And yet this is fruit that is sweet to other people. It's primarily not for us. Uh, just double backing on unity as a fruit. This abiding in God should lead to us having deeper connections with one another. Ephesians 4 says that we're to keep the unity that God has given us. We don't have to create unity, but we're meant to keep it. How are you doing it in the same way that we abide in God's love? In actually forming life-giving relationships with people where there is love flowing between you. And the fruits of the Spirit are obviously some of the fruits that come from abiding in God's love. The fruits of the Spirit 
are love, joy, peace, patience, self-control, kindness, and gentleness. The one that I think underpins all of these is love. If, if those are the fruits, if you were to take the spiritual fruits and boil them down to their essence, to the jam, <laughs> it's love. Because what, what is under patience, like, you know, being patiently enduring with someone, it's love. What's under self-control, it's love. What's under uh, trying to make peace with someone, it's love. And friends, just in wrapping this all up, our world and the people around us need these kinds of fruits. They're starving for them, aren't they? We live in such a, a, a world full of hate and so much suspicion and so much just individualism where we're all just out for what we can get. And we're the only ones as Christ followers rooted into this vine that can actually bring the sweet fruit of love. And yet we can't do it unless we first are abiding in God and his love. This is one of the core reasons you have been put on this planet, to abide in God's love, to remain in him and remain in his love. When you do this, it's not then you might bear fruit. You will bear fruit, Jesus promises. It's abiding, not mass producing, not hoop jumping, not hustling. So ladies, as the band comes up, <clears throat> we came in here blown in from every direction, but that's not how we're leaving this weekend. We're leaving still. We're leaving rooted. We're leaving refused to God and his life-giving love and spirit. We're leaving this weekend closer to one another as one of the fruits, fused together not because of small things like similar interests or personalities or backgrounds, but because of the vertical unity we found first in Christ that leads to a beautiful horizontal unity. Let's start to abide again tonight. And I think all of us uh, can take steps to this, whether you've been following Christ for decades. Hopefully there's been some things here tonight when you've gone, wow, that's, that's something I can let go of. That's, that's one area I need to realign my life with the truth of the scriptures. Or perhaps this is the first time you've heard a message like this, and you are wanting to abide in God's love for the very first time. All are welcome. We start to abide by being still and knowing that he is God. By handing over being the vine or seeing ourselves as the fruit. By repenting of looking to false vines and false gardeners. And from not shying away from his loving pruning, but surrendering again to his love. What a rich time. One other thing um, before I hand over to Tendai that we thought would be a significant uh, symbol uh, for each of us to do is in your bags, you'll see that you've, you've got two of these kind of cards and they represent um, leaves. And these are two kind of vines that have been made for this event. And what we'd love you to do is to write your name on one of those pieces 
And at some point, either tonight or tomorrow morning during worship, to add your name as your way of, of saying, I want to abide in your love, God. And what's beautiful is you also will see that it's not just you, but that in abiding, you join a sisterhood of women that are choosing to do the same thing. So you're welcome to do that tonight or even tomorrow in the worship. And bring your bags um, for tomorrow because there's some other things, goodies in there that we'll unpack tomorrow. Thank you.